0: This is first contact stories of the call center. Welcome to first contact stories of the call center podcast, where we share the stories of well-known thought leaders and discuss all things related to the contact center space. Join us in this journey to hear stories of success, failures, and lessons learned from the contact center world. This is brought to you by Nobel biz, your one-stop shop for all your contact center carrier and software needs. Hey, everyone, welcome back to First Contact Stories of the Call Center. We're excited for today's show. Um, we have a great guest and this guest in particular is Kevin Daly. So Kevin is the founder of Value Add and the creator of Best Pair. Uh, it's a data service that aims to improve conversion rates. Now, for those of you that uh, are in sales or collections or making outbound calls, this is going to be really important for you, but you never know. There may be other applications. Now, with that said, Kevin has been, you know, combining his experience in data modeling, sales management, uh, data servicing, being able to really get the results in the right combination so that from there, you're able to get better productivity, you're able to get uh, better outcomes. And obviously, he's been doing this across, what is it, 15 plus countries, which is awesome. Now, when we look at Kevin's career, though, it really didn't start in the call center space. It actually started in insurance, and we're going to dive into that as well. But we're super excited to have you here. Thanks so much for joining. And for those of you who don't know, Kevin's in Australia, so we're definitely going to wish him a good morning. So thanks for joining. <laughs> Happy to have you here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to the questions and looking forward to getting through the material. Yeah, it's going to be great. And so like we always do, we start this show really being able to talk about how did you get into the call center space, right? We talk about how not everybody wakes up and says, oh, that's what I want to do for a living. So you obviously have a back history, and we kind of alluded to it and outright said in insurance. But let's talk about your background, and then how did you end up getting into the call center space? Yeah, I think a lot of things in life, you know, your path is never really an awesome straight line, is it? And you
1: you, you kind of find yourself moving from one spot to another. I was born to a family of insurance people, and I, I kid you not. And I tell you, my my dad has there eight kids in that family, and all eight of them in wow. insurance. I grew up listening to objections and recruiting and very boring dinner table as a, as a young guy, I've got to say. So, when when I was looking for, uh, you know, when I was reaching out to work and after I'd done some studies, uh, I was kind of told to get a real job, which meant an insurance company, and that's what I did, right? <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm probably a bit more technical than, than most of them. Um, I really enjoy numbers and I, I'm fascinated by relationships and why they work and, so my first couple of uh, roles were working uh, in the back end of insurance company or banks, building propensity to purchase models. Who's going to buy this product? But this product? And Kev, can you help us find customers that we should approach? And it was fun and all, but I actually enjoy people, and I found myself being sort of hidden in the back office and and not and not really, you know, it's it's is great, but eventually you want to get out to people so I find myself being super attracted to sales divisions and uh, very excited by you know what they were doing and I suppose as a young guy also the money seemed much better than clocking in every day uh, so uh I, eventually uh, I was running an agency force and I had a face to face channel uh that I was working for in Johannesburg, South Africa, which is why I have that weird accent and uh i w- <laughs> I was I was noticing some things, and I had a target to hit, right? I'm not saying that I said, oh, I've got an awesome business idea. It was more, I've got a number to hit. How am I going to hit that number? And uh, I was I was seeing some things. I would meet customers at the front desk, and I'd be able to guess who had done the sale. And uh, just by nuance of language or age or sophistication, and of my 30-odd guys, I'd be able to go I- I- that Sally was the person who could who could make that is probably that and I was often right. So it occurred to me, now it's a bit stupid to be randomly assigning these leads if these guys are se- selling to such a specific market or, or or segment. So what I started to do was to um could I model this? Could I predict bear in mind my background? Could I predict who is going to do well with these do well with these sales? And, uh, and that's really how, how we got started in, in the, the the modeling part. Uh, the company I was working for after a couple of years, um, asked me to do this for everybody and they were my first clients and then started to uh, sell to banks and, you know, the wider audience started to export into Australia and Southeast Asia. And during a, I was invited to a conference in Thailand and I was presenting at this conference and I presented this. I, you know this idea around why the salesperson is super important, and uh, there was a guy in the audience who said, "Hey, we want to use it," and turned out to be from Sigma. And uh, I, I said, "Oh, okay, that's that's cool, but this is face-to-face stuff." And he said, "No, no, you got this wrong. This will work in a this will work in a in 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 an outbound, well, in a in a conversational style." I think you I think you're going to get to it. And he was the person who put me onto that, and I'm forever grateful, and I'm glad I listened. You know, sometimes you don't. And I'm I'm glad I took that opportunity. And
0: uh, so that's how I ended up here. So without having a background in call centers, right, or now contact centers, if they're using other mediums, um, you've basically had someone say, hey, you should get your technology or your process and approach, and you should apply it here. So that ultimately, is that where value add came in and best pair? Can you kind of walk me through the journey of where did that really kind of become something tangible? And then to now, what, what's kind of transcended that time frame from its inception to now?
1: Yeah, so the, the early journeys of value-add were much more about manage lead, I suppose in a box, leads management, and, of which there was this component that would um, use machine learning to decide who would be the right face-to-face interaction. And so there's all sorts, So we built all sorts of tech around mobile apps, and but very, very banking, Agency, agency kind of focus. So what, what, um, what this, what this guy called Gary Dance. What Gary was interested in is that that piece that would assign those uh, those activities. He was interested in that and only that because the rest of the infrastructure were in place. And you're quite right. I I did not know. Um, I did not have much experience at, at at all. But he identified that, and then I started to immerse myself into. Okay, so how do you pull that out of that core product? And make that a product on its own, uh, without all of the the bells and whistles of of you know sort of the front end and all, all of the all of those sort of all of those sort of components, and and really was about uh, customizing something we had already
0: built and and packaging it up as as a data service. So let's kind of unwrap that a little bit, right? We have clients, we have all kinds of people in the industry that are going to make an outbound call for one reason or another. And you're saying that what this product does and what you've kind of transferred from a face-to-face model into when you started dipping your toe into call center space is having a way to be able to take, it sounds like, the data from the leads that you're bringing in and being able to assign those to the agents, collectors, reps, when they're making outbound calls that are the most, what, relevant for them, the ones that are most capable for them to be successful at? Can you kind of unpack that a little bit?
1: Sure, <clears throat> yes. Yeah, so specifically um, what we do is we, we look at the history of the interactions between that, um, that rep, and we would look at, well, where have they been successful? What, what categories of customers have they been successful with? So we need to know something about the customer that they're going to, that they're going to call. So, for example, it could be um, related to stuff like the person's age or the geography, where, where does the person live, or socioeconomics. And so effectively we are modeling and creating a, um, a map of, of the strength of this individual rep, and the goal would be to play to that strength. Let's give them more of the stuff that they're good at, and hopefully there's someone else in the center that that has the opposite, and we can then reorganize those those um, those leads uh, into
0: to the reps that um, that are good at those those specific clients It's really interesting when you think about all the data that you would have to have historically right and for it to be relevant, but then you can match that with obviously information you would have to have about the lead and to be able to say this lead when i make a call cuz today you know most dialing platforms whether you're using a manual solution or some sort of more robust like a predictive system you know they're allocating those individual leads to who's available or the next available representative or it's distribute them in in a very various ways there are some we'll call them skills based options yep. where you can maybe upskill somebody to a certain level and give them maybe preference of that call You know, our system can do that. But it sounds like what you're doing is you're taking historical performance of that person and then you're attaching it to that lead and you're saying these ones, because of these key characteristics, should go to these people and then in turn give you better outcomes. So what have you seen this being successful in? Like what types of calls does this really shine? And what kind of outcomes are you seeing from implementing this stuff in call centers? Yeah, so the 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 you're quite right. We need to
1: have data, right? So the so what does that ideal client look like? It's a customer that that typically knows who they're going to be calling. So they've got to have data points on those on those um, type of type of clients. And so those data points are are typically the obvious ones that you would think about. Uh, And and most most would have things like the age or the geography. Where does the person live? Maybe income. Most times, maybe not income directly, but say something like um, the value of the purchase that they've bought, some indicator, credit card type, something like that. Um, I wish we got more, but things like occupational education, because it tells a little about buying style, and therefore some sales styles work for those buying styles, uh, is, is is really is really good. And, and then, of course, you've got the, the, the sort of – left field stuff that you didn't anticipate. So, For example, one of our customers um, is selling um, into the motor trade space and they are selling uh, warranty renewals into the, into the motor trade space. And as it happens, the badge of the vehicle is predictive. Who would have thought? Uh, so in other words, the, the type of people in the centre that are having conversations with that end client are very different if the person's driving a Tesla compared to if they're buying a truck. It's just a different, just a different type of person. So we kind of work with what we have. So that's but that's already implying that the data is available, and and therefore you are specifically looking at markets where you have probably cross sell or upsell to existing customers as well as uh, collections. There's obviously a wealth of wealth of data that's uh, that's associated to collections.
0: So when you think of this, going from the theoretical, right, which is like, yeah, in theory, if I had this data and then I chose the right person to match up with the right person, that those styles or those things of how that person sells versus how that person buys or vice versa, um, in the end, ultimately should get you a better outcome. Yes. I can imagine, though, that you've been able to quantify and say, hey, yeah, you know, when when we've done tests, you get more X out of leveraging a product like this. And then ultimately, I'm sure there's, outside of just performance, there has to be other things tied to um using a product like this? Because I would imagine when you have someone that's selling more, they're probably a happier employee, which maybe helps with retention. So do you have any kind of insight or Mm. points for our audience that you can kind of give us on that topic? Yeah, if you get it right, if you get it right, you can get. So when you think about in the old
1: days, you would have propensity to purchase, which is the product and the customer, and nothing about the agent having those conversations or that rep. So if you can bring in that rep and that propensity to purchase might say 10% lift, But now you get it right. Christians perfect for this customer. What does ten percent become? And it goes, goes, and that's what we're trading. We're trading the what's better than random allocation. So if you get this right, a couple of things happen. One, your probability of success goes up, the the, the obvious one that you're stating. Two, the deal size fairly often goes up as well. There's a, there's a. Three, the customer tends to be a little bit stickier because relationships are being built as opposed to treating. The agent is kind of a, a little bit robotic themselves. If, if they're having fun and the customer's having fun, the customer hangs around. But so does your agent. The rep also stays around because he's enjoying it more. He's having more conversations that are fun, and he wants an outcome. He doesn't want a, a, a bad outcome. He wants a positive outcome himself. So he's making more money but enjoying the role um, a lot more. So we have to quantify what we do, right? We, we, can't, we can't put in a data service and go, oh, yeah, how did you compare it to last month? Or the, or, or the, of course, you, you could look at that, but the world's too complicated. There's too many things going on in, uh, on, on day-to-day stuff, you know, power failures or, I don't know, other things that, other things that influence it. So what we do to make sure we're making a difference is that when we allocate, we shuffle in 30% of the data is random. In other words, using what the, the business's usual process was like. And so, if you then come to the end of a end of a period of time, I call it a month or whatever the campaign period is, and you then look at, well, how did random do? How did that control group do? What was the conversion rate of that control, and what was the conversion rate of the best pair allocated group? If we're making a difference, there should be a difference between those two numbers. You should be able to see the conversion rate was two percent here and three percent here. Okay, we know we, we we know we're making a difference.
0: Gotcha. And so how, of all the different verticals you've served or the type of call outside of just data, are there certain calls or verticals? I know you had mentioned collections as one as well and sales. But uh, is that really where the strength is? In other words, like, does this tech work in inbound calls at all or does it work in just customer service calls, you know, scheduling appointments? Or is this really tailored to really shine in those in particular types of calls? It's designed to be um, a a a
1: agnostic kind of plug-in to to what is the center doing at the moment. I mean the, the, the reality is if you're having inbound calls and you're needing to live route them to a, a particular person, can that be done? Yeah it can be. But your infrastructure requirements are, are 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 a lot are a lot higher. So absolutely that 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 can be done but the path to get there is a little is, is a little trickier uh, with with infrastructure could be in place but absolutely can be uh, can be done. Um, inbound to outbound, so fairly often there, there might be um leads that have come in that are hopefully live, and then you phone the customer back straight away, but you can't reach them, but you know you've got to phone them back in a day or two or three. So those those make sense because that person's fairly often captured data or captured information, captured information on that on that on that particular customer. The vast majority though of the work that we're currently doing is very much outbound, is very much these are, these are the customers that we get going to phone over the next month. Uh, this is the batch that we're going to we have the 100,000 leads and they're the 100 agents or the, or the million leads of it, whatever the numbers are. And we need to assign those to that fixed set of people that we anticipate will be at work next, ne- next month or whatever the period is. And we then do our magic, which is really scoring and then allocating to what that client needs. And we feed the data back and they, and they
2: load it in. Running a contact center these days takes a great deal of courage and fortitude. Nobel Biz would like to salute the contact center community for not giving up and working hard to drive their businesses down the road to success. As the promise keepers of the industry, our goal was to provide one of the most versatile and cost efficient omni-channel solutions on the market. Nobel Biz Omni Plus is a cloud contact center software that gives instant access to a full range selection of channels from voice calls, two-way SMS, email, WhatsApp, Twitter, Telegram, among others. Our solution offers complete control over the externalities by switching from an on-premise technology to a cloud-based solution in just a matter of hours. Get integrated compliance support, advanced reporting, seamless agent and supervisor dashboards, and many more performance-enhancing capabilities, all in just one product. Nobel Biz OmniPlus, the future-proof solution for scaling contact center operations. Learn more about Nobel Biz OmniPlus at www.nobelbiz.com.
0: You had mentioned that the system learns, or I think I understood that it continues to evolve. It's not like a one point in time, but you do have to have have historical data and then it may improve over time. So if you have, let's say, new agents that you're putting in, how long would you see before you're able to get enough data for them to go, hey, these new employees are now able to get more of these types of calls because they perform better here? Yeah.
1: So um, how we work that is, when we're going to do an allocation, our, our, our customer would come to us and say, we want you to allocate to these reps. And sometimes there's a brand new rep we've never seen before. So what we would do in that case is we would still, let's so say they wanted the 1,000 um, leads for that month. We would still assign 1,000 leads, but what we would do is we would r- really use a combination of models to get to that person. It's not a model specifically for him. We don't know enough yet, right? We haven't had the opportunity to learn uh, so we assign those, we tag those as uh, this has been used. Uh, the, the the modeling that we've used to tag that, so the customer knows. But what we find is, um, once the person's made about twenty sales, it is roughly about you start suddenly start to have a model that's probably not great. It's a bit I see it like a, a bit like a lens, right? You're kind of getting a picture there, but it's not awesomely clear around what this person is good at. But probably better than random. Probably better than leaving it alone. And we, we, we calculate how accurate is this model, and once it kind of gets beyond the threshold, then we're going we're gonna to start say okay, we're going to use our actual engine to do that allocation. So we don't want to have a very disruptive process to the end customer. We don't want to have, oh, these data sets are, because it's just, just too difficult to manage for, for everyone along the line. So we treat them the same in the, the process. The data will arrive the reps fairly often are unaware of how they reach those 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 leads. It's it's kind of assigned into into the background. From their perspective, they've got dated people to call, and they still got people to call. All they should be noticing at the end of the day is, hey, that was fun. Well, hopefully, <laughs> yeah.
0: well, hopefully they just got better performance, right? And so at yes. the end, they're going, I wonder if I was the placebo side or if I actually got the you know the real deal because uh, my performance was up. But with that said. You have all this data right you're analyzing all these things all the time you're being able to see what reps perform well with what types of data sets that you have i'd have to imagine that at this point in the business you have found certain types of personas or types of reps that excel with certain types of calls or one way or the other how does a business then do you ever after doing something like this implementing this kind of technology to go back and say You know, I'm lopsided. I got like 70% of people that excel on this type of call, but my lead sources only have X percent of these calls. And I'm I don't have enough people to really service the calls that I get the most. And then I have all these calls that stuff to be serviced, right? You're not gonna have a bunch of reps that aren't good fit or ideal fit and they're sitting around. And they're obviously getting these calls and they're maybe not performing as well. How have you addressed that or tried to be able to look at how does your data and your approach Go back and say, how does the business then refine either training or onboarding or who they hire or who they keep to align with how they service their business? Yeah, I I very much like a partner approach Uh, for for us. In in fact,
1: we haven't got to financial model. We are very performance driven is the way in which we the way in which we structure this. So we have a a, and we enjoy it to make sure that this is successful. This isn't for us a theoretical exercise. Sounds super cool to do this. No. This has really got to be about more success, you know, at at the end of the day. So where that really comes in is the surprises that you would see. Like you, you on face value, you look at individuals that are in that center and you would, and it's super easy to pigeonhole them. You're, oh, they're clearly going to be good at this type of customer. And you're often wrong. You're wrong. It's just and even when you ask them about what they think they're good at, they're often fairly wrong themselves. And it it's just like astounds me when you look at the data versus versus what, what their what outcomes are, so I don't like to pigeonhole uh, people into into sort of personas. I would rather let the data speak for itself. If this is a if this is a young guy who's just joined your business and he is calling, uh, and and he's showing patterns like he's phoning from Texas and he's showing great success in California with a completely different profile to what you think. Awesome. Let the data speak to that. Let let's feed in the stuff that he, where he's demonstrating that That success rather than trying of trying to figure it out by a sort of there's too much emotion that gets involved, too much things that things that come out of that, so I'm often surprised by how how immensely talented some people are at being able to sell to wide diversity of of people, and then you get the specialist and you and you like that specialist is like good at very close segmented kind of kind of customers. And traditionally, they don't survive because you can't send them enough of that perfect, ideal client. So when they're good, they're absolutely brilliant. But on average, they, they get lost in the lost in the detail. And this works really well for them as well because they're going to get a much higher ratio of that perfect, that perfect sort of person that they're going to get to that they're going to get to 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 call. So this is I often see this as a bit like picking a sports team. You could say, yeah, yeah, we're all generalists. Okay, that, that that's great. But what sports team, or well, most sports, uh, is going to be awesome with just generalists? Normally, you need to have different types of pe- people on the on, on on the playing field to make that difference. You need the tall guy going to do this, or the fast guy going to do that, or the big guy going to do something else. Same in our centers. You've got, actually got to find a blend of not just going, we've got one flavor that fits all. One flavor that fits all is gonna give you average result. You wanna do something different, find the guys that are super good in, in super segments. And as long as that data can, can eat that out,
0: man, it's, it's, it's amazing what can be achieved. Well, it's a great analogy that you use sports because obviously if you had a team full of quarterbacks, you'd never get anything done, right? Um, so I can imagine once you have this technology in play and you have a mix, right? And let's say your quarterback in this instance uh, gets this type of call as a preferable ma- uh, model, right? It's like your model says this kind of call, the quarterback does the best job on these calls. If you had all quarterbacks, obviously I doubt that's the way that the mix ever is in a call center. But if it's all that, then you'd have to find other people, right? That Thanks. could preferably meet the other roles that you need. And so it'd be great to see how this goes into the future of where, how you're leveraging the mix of people you're hiring, how you hire them, how you train them, maybe even what questions or testing you do when they're bringing them on board, knowing that your data sets require certain mixes, even for staffing. There's all kinds of interesting things I think you could do knowing what you're going to get, what kind of files you're going to be dialing on, potentially what kind of mix of people you need to be most successful. With that said, though, as we kind of move this a little bit over, you had mentioned performance is one of the drivers, right? You know, how someone's historical performances. Does the customer decide what is considered performance when you take that into account? Or do you kind of come in and say, this is what you should use as the performance indicator for someone? Yeah, we typically have, um, so when you build a model, you specifically
1: say, what is it you're modeling to achieve? And mm-hmm. so, so fairly often we would go to a customer and say, typically. The number we're looking to improve on is a contact to success rate, or if it's in a telemark contact to sales uh, number. That's the, that's the number we're looking to achieve. In collections, um, we would have some customers that would say, oh, it's, it's promise to pay. That's, that's the number we, we're after chasing. Personally, um, I try and, try and talk people out of that because I'm, I'm more interested in, in making it difficult. So promise to pay is a little too easy to say yes. I would rather say, well, did he pay? You know, if, 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 if this is a promise, that's great, but ultimately let's see that money hit the, hit the till. So when we start the process, we like to clearly define the goal. What is it that we're looking to achieve out of this, out of this exercise? Your current conversion rates, if it's a, if it's a, a, a sales call is 3% of, of all the people you speak to, 3% of those are going to say yes. Okay. That's what, that's the number we're looking to target. And, uh, so we would fairly often, as part of our process, say, give us some data. Let's, let's figure this out. Will this make a difference? Because this, this really has got to have the right ingredients in place. If it doesn't have the right ingredients in place, you're not going to have that, you're not going to make that difference. And so we, and so we, we like to just do a little bit of pre-work and then go, look, we think this is going to make a, a 20% difference to that number. Or we think this could be a 40% difference to that, to that number, depending where it is. And let's set some expectation on the reality of, of what can be, of what can be achieved. And I, I didn't fully answer your, your previous question. We do want to show you, we do want to show the customer where the gaps exist. But what we find with clients is fairly often, like when we first arrive, we'd see like a whole bunch of, um, younger folk, very little gray hair, very little hairline like you and I around the around the floor but what we find is like when you start to show some people success and maybe the the person on the floor is a little older, you start to notice that uh that gets noticed because you because because when you're a little older you're a little bit more deliberate in terms of the way in which you speak to people, and that appeals to some customers, not all customers, but it appeals to some customers and some styles, so they become a little bit more successful. And the person on the floor goes, "Oh, ew, 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 yeah, that, that bull dude is suddenly doing is suddenly doing okay." And when he before he would have someone maybe a little older go, oh, "This guy's not going to have the energy to do this," uh, yeah. uh, then then um, start to think, "Well, let's give him a go." And and so that it doesn't just happen because we're giving a report to say, "Hey, you know this this person's able to service a segment of of the calls that you're going to make that other people can't." It's these guys are smart themselves, right? They evolve. They see the they see the different that, sets that that's happening that's happening on the floor. So absolutely, we'll produce reports uh, and and have a partner conversation to say, have you thought of this or seeing this in the data? What's going on? You know, sometimes you you can see it from a data perspective, but it doesn't have color to it, and and sometimes the center needs to pull that in.
0: You know, that's great because I think a lot of times the idea of new technology or embracing a new technology in your own ecosystem. The idea of set it and forget it is a big problem right that this is it's a widget i plug it in it should do magic the other side of it you had to set it which was spot on is the idea of having the end goal in mind and having a plan in place to be able to get to that goal it's not just a hope for the best and then it should work out as you have to have something to achieve and then you need to know tangibly what it is and how to measure against it to make sure you're on pace or if you need to make changes or if you're hitting it and you can continue to uh, turn the volume up on it. Now, one of the things that was interesting to me is when you talk about data, right? And call centers are full of data, so much data. There's so many things that sometimes we get lost in the data, sometimes we don't know how to digest the data. Sometimes we're not able to actually make fast enough decisions on how we manage data. And since a lot of what you're ingesting is performance and historical, and then you also have the inputs from the leads themselves, um, not everybody's the same over time. And sometimes people have bad days. They're just, I've I've had a bad day. I'm a top performer, and today is not my day. Have you taken anything into account into being able to say when the system is allocating, does the performance of someone during that day or that week and Anything that could be going off that day, modify mm. how they're getting wow. leads, or is this kind of a every day? It's kind of its own thing, and then you know it doesn't reset till the next day. You have any insight into how?
1: Well, there's a big there's a big trend in play, and the big trend in play um, is if you if you build these models and you go, oh, we've we've got it. We this is really an awesome model. Yes, Kristen, done. It's locked and loaded. Um, that model's only good for a couple of months. It's, it, it's just incredible how quickly people evolve uh, through even one awesome conversation. In his mind, he can't speak to older females uh, from a particular area. And, and he's got that in his mind. And we've all had sales guys like that. Like, that's ingrained. Yet he has one phone call from someone who he thinks it's impossible, and he has an awesome call, and his own attitude changes, and his self-belief in what he can achieve changes and with that, uh, we need to detect that change. So we can't, this is not like a propensity to purchase where you can lock and load and leave it in play uh, for, for months at, at, at an end. We do have to we do have to evolve um, and to be able to cater for um, those trends. So one of the things that we do is we look at how recent the data is and is he evolving. It's actually a number that we calculate. So let's use an extreme example. Somebody... Who who cannot sell to older people just cannot in the data shows you can't. Uh, but over time starts to show that oh he actually is given a couple of leads in that segment and actually is starting to is starting to improve. We will look ahead and so we will start to predict. Well, this is he's currently one percent chance, but we think he's going to be three percent within the next couple of months. Then we will start to assign more and more more and more leads in that in that segment. And try and get ahead of that curve to be able to work within that, to be able to work within that timeframe. Typically, our timeframes, um, to, to, answer your question directly, typically our timeframes are, are, uh, we allocating in batches. So normally it would be there's the batch and we then get the feedback on that batch, retune everything. So we re- rebuild models as soon as we get any feedback. We will, we, 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 I suppose a lot of our investment has really been in this capability of building Models at scale and, and hundreds and thousands of these, of these models within a, within a fairly short space of time, uh, to be able to, to be able to do that. So yeah, we do have to, we absolutely have to track. Are we tracking it on a day to day or hourly basis? No, that's, that'd be very unusual to, to do that. Could we? Yes. If
0: we set that up in, in, in that way, absolutely could be doing that, but are we currently doing it? No. Gotcha. So it's interesting because the trends, right, as we talk about the next question, which is really, where is the future of the company and the product and your vision going? We're seeing more and more technology that's doing things in real time, right? Yeah. What What can you do in guidance or assist, you know, everything with presenting information to the representative agent collector in real time to help them make sure that they say the right things or they do the right things or they don't forget certain things, things of that nature. But it's an interesting compliment because what you're doing is taking what's happened and the data coming in and you're trying to give someone the best opportunity for success before they even get on the phone right in conjunction with training and you know all the other things that that is so critical and then you have these other technologies that are starting to say okay now you're on a call maybe it's the call that 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 came in to you that was perfectly proportionate for what you're going to be successful at but now do what you should be doing the right way right and so (laughs) Uh, As we move forward into the future, I'd love to understand, what do you see as the future, both in your business, your technology, and kind of how call centers and contact centers are embracing this more success at the individual level and a more real-time experience? Yeah, I I very much want to evolve us into being
1: a little bit more real-time, but for a different reason. Uh, You spoke about… I've, I would like to be able to see the impact, not on the. Of course, it's important to understand that he's having a bad day. I, I get that part, but I'm interested in the external environment as to what's happening in the customer's day, and how does that influence? How does that influence the outcome of our calls? Obvious ones would be things like, well, it's this is a this is a mum with three kids, and it's it's like eight o'clock in the morning, and should we should we call her now? She might kill you if you're phoning just simply because she's got kids. She's trying to get to school and she's trying to get stuff done, right? She doesn't want to, doesn't really want to do. That's not probably the right time to be able to have that, which could be quite opposite to a different segment of, of customer. But it's not just, it's not, so that would be a fairly obvious example, but there would be others that you would start to say. And the, 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 the analogy often says, if it's raining in Perth, who should we phone? So in, in other words, if, if there's something happening out in the external world that might influence certain segments of those customers, we should be aware of that and we should be able to ingest that. Now, are we capable of doing that now? No, but we, that's certainly a direction, uh, w- that I'm looking to move us into is to be able to say, how do we maximize this outcome for the good of all? And what are the moving parts that we can ingest in a much more black boxy kind of way that today may be different to tomorrow, depending upon what's happening in, in the world and what's happening in those environments, so that we can uh, do our absolute best job of making sure that meaningful conversations are happening between, between um, our agents and, and the end customer.
2: A famous African proverb says that if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. At Nobel Biz, we have made it our mission to travel far and wide with our partners and clients. As a complete telecom services provider with over 20 years of experience in the industry, Nobel Biz offers the only voice carrier network designed with the sole purpose of serving call centers around the world. This contact center dedicated carrier network provides crystal clear voice traffic, up-to-date compliance tools, intelligent routing, and highly secure data protocols combined with 99.9% uptime and easy setup. Our goal for 2022 is to become the ultimate partner and provider for the contact center industry by placing service quality at the top of our priority list. To top it off, at Nobel Biz, we have the most competitive cost-per-minute model in the industry. Need proof? Reach out to us and learn more about the Nobel Biz Voice Carrier Network at www.nobelbiz.com.
0: Totally makes sense. And, you know, with that said, I know that recently I thought you were having some new exciting projects or partnerships that you were embarking on. Can you kind of fill us in a little bit on what's going on with that?
1: Yeah, so we we, we are. yeah. So we we increasing our ecosystem around uh, the data su- suppliers and data support infrastructure that we have available. So like some of our customers that we would go to, typically you would look down and you would say, hey, like what's, um you know, what do you know about that client? And and fairly often it might be light. So we're increasingly building in, um, additional data ports into, into, uh, into our infrastructure so that we don't just have primary data that we're working on and very, very clearly interesting primary data, but also starting to look at, um, secondary data, um, and that's evolving, that's evolving in that, in that space to be able to make that a lot more, um, relevant where, where, where you know, where it's applicable. I'm not one for building infrastructure for the
0: hell of it. You know, I would much rather build stuff because we're going to produce a much better outcome. Yep, totally makes sense. And, you know, I think I assumed a lot of our audience, and many of our audience may very well, completely understand data modeling. Yeah. But from your perspective, you know, what is the primary goal of data modeling? What is it, at, obviously, at a high level? And then is there some good and bad from it that can come of it that you've seen advantages, disadvantages in using it?
1: Yeah. I think you I think you've got to be super clear around why you're doing it. Yeah, you know, I think I think it's it's too easy to go, ooh, sounds pretty cool to do that. And then but you actually hadn't figured out Yeah, you know, everyone's talking about that. Let's do that. And and enough conferences have attended where I've listened to think that sounds so sexy, but so what? Like so, honestly, how do I take that which sounds so super cool, and how do I apply it that's going to change my number? That's going to change an outcome for me that we're more successful as a business. And so, I think we, I, I think from my perspective, we've got to be super pragmatic about these things. Like, what is it that we that that we're looking to achieve in business terms, not in data terms? Like, there's got to be something super super clear, which is why. I like to focus a lot on that that number that says what is the success rate, the contact to conversion rate that 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 we that we want to that we want to achieve. We also living in a world where, um, to me, there's a lot of complexity, particularly around data, and there's this temptation to make things super complicated when you want to. When yeah, so each of us in our own world have got complexity that we that that we're working on. The the person on the floor running those people is. Difficult to recruit, and it's got an algorithm in its own head as to how they're recruiting the right person, the right. Now, I don't need to know all of that to get to, to be able to do my work. In my world, my world, my world is also can be quite complicated. But I don't want to bleed our world into yours. I would much rather say, "Hey, tell us who you want to phone. Tell us some of the experience. Let's make it. Let's, let, let's really make this as easy as we can without trying to make it so difficult for everyone to, to, to work together." what we're looking for is the history. Let's give us some history that's coming out of your data. Let's give us the history of the people you've spoken to and we will then do, do our stuff uh, and there's some complexity on our end and the way in which we're exposing that back is a simple file. Simply to say here is and it could be an API or it could be, but at the end of the day, let's not make it so difficult to get stuff done um, that that actually at the end of the day it 's too complicated, too difficult to get to get people to to understand i i I think through the years um, data scientists and and guys make this very complicated right and, and and it's there's some some there is complicated stuff in the middle of all of that, but it 's too easy to get lost as as a guy trying to run a business and trying to say oh i 've got to feel like i 've got to use AI or in our case machine learning uh, to be able to apply this stuff. Let's rather let's rather focus on that outcome, and let me focus on on that part of trying to match these people up uh, without having to without having to move through all the moving parts.
0: Well, so, I mean, in other words, for a lot of my audience, that's not huge into data from like how you actually dive into the machine learning part, but really taking relevant information, historical information, and making decisions quickly so that you get better outcomes, right? And Those better outcomes, though, obviously help individuals be more successful, which helps with retention and happier employees. Maybe they just obviously will, stand in turn perform better. Morale around the group, your supervisors, your leaders, and then obviously the business is doing better. With with that said, you know there was a, a a quote on your LinkedIn: "The most meaningful way to succeed is to help other people succeed." Right? Powerful, but I'd love to get your take on. What does that mean for you? How do you integrate that in your business leadership? And then ultimately, how does your product and servicing of your customers take that into making it something real?
1: Yeah, if for, for me, I, I suppose as someone that's like to drive um, success, if, if you're going to just be driving everything yourself, you're going to have limited success. You might be hugely successful as an individual, but unless you're able to influence people around you, unless you're able to get them to believe into you, The process that you're delivering in or the product that you're delivering, or even as an agent, convincing a customer who is becoming a partner of yours to take this action, uh, your, your, your success is, is, is always going to be, is always going to be limited here. So I would rather take a product like ours and I would much rather uh, enable, make it enabling that we can provide the data to that end client that they can take that action as opposed to us doing it. Do we want to set up our own center and apply technology like this and eventually have i don't know five thousand ten thousand no, I don't want to do that. I would much rather build something that other people can use uh, and we could have a a, a much broader uh, kind of kind of network rather than than us trying to achieve uh, everything on our everything on our own. So I would much rather enable people uh to be to be successful um, along the way. And we'll be successful anyway, along the way, as long as as long as we're achieving our goals, right? as long as we're achieving this this objective of having awesome conversations and a high success rate, then we we will achieve those goals. We will achieve those goals anyway. So it does kind of answer some of your question earlier. It said, do you help your customers to understand how they could improve? Yeah, we we do. Is that our primary goal? Our primary goal is to, to increase that conversion rate but if if we have data or information that's going to make we're going going to have some insight, actionable, specifically actionable insight, where they can change a recruiting strategy or or they can change the time of the day in which they're calling or 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 reorganize it, absolutely we want we want to be able to do that because
0: in doing so we're, we're all successful. Oh, it makes sense. And to kind of shift subjects a little bit, obviously, you know for those that were Really in their business at the beginning of the pandemic all the way through now, is there anything that you've launched or took part of or that you're just proud of that you are a part of during the pandemic that was focused on your business or whether or not it was personal or otherwise? any stories or anything you can share yeah I've, i I must admit at
1: very scary times um, for as a business owner um, as as a lot of businesses on, on on a lot of your your audience is, is the unknown unpredictability of what impact is gonna have? Uh, you know, and you look at, you know, and you try and predict ahead and you're often wrong. And it has the opposite effect to what you thought it what you thought it would be. I think for us um, running a a business like ours, survival for a large portion of it, or, or certainly positioning yourself around survival. I mentioned in our introduction that we had two that we have two products, one focused on face to face and one focused on on more calls that 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 have been made. The face to face was heavily impacted. What's the lockdown about? It's stopping people from meeting. What's the product goal of that is to get people to meet. So clearly it's going to, it's going to have an impact. So, um, so that portion of our, that portion of our business, um, certainly took a, took a massive hit, but we were very fortunate in that we, we, we do have, um, we, we, we do have this, this product, Best Pair, that wasn't as impacted as, as much. Yeah. In some countries, um, specifically Asia, uh, became very difficult to bring those people into those into those centres uh, be, because they would need to maybe call from home that they weren't able to do before. Um, but it, it did not have as huge a negative impact as what it might have, uh, simply because of the way in which we were we were able to flex to changes because those centres were suddenly shifting from technologies that were very very large centre based to people phoning from home. And and their their need from us was how do we change the data structure? How how do we assign these leads in a in in a way that's different? And and sometimes we even had to be as 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 flexible as breaking it down into small components and encrypting that data and sending it to that 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 person's home so that they could make those so so they could make those those calls and be and be productive. So I'm super chuffed that that we were flexible enough to do that. And and as I say, if we were way 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 more complicated more complex it would have been difficult because you wouldn't have had that ability to be agile and move to move to that uh, move to that particular circumstance that, that, that you know that that was required for that um, right time and right time and space Also, i think we shifted to partners in the meantime right covid forced i you know i'm used to i mean i used to take off and land every 3 days typically into a different country i couldn't do that anymore. So I'm super chuffed with this move into a more partner focused approach as opposed to us selling. So that's new for us. And we're evolving and learning about how that, how that ecosystem, how that ecosystem works. And that's been a huge positive. If ever there's been a positive, and it's one of those things that you kind of got forced to do it, and then you go, damn, I'm not coming at it myself. Oh man. It would have been much more awesome if
0: I could say, ooh, I have this awesome vision and this is what we should do than that. Some of these things that you get forced on you. Yeah, I mean, one of the common themes we found a lot of companies when they were innovating, you know, they innovated and adjusted because they were forced to, right? They didn't have a choice. It was survival or out of business or whatever it may have been for that company. And so then, to be able to break all the rules and say we're not going to follow this really long process, this long vetting that we do, uh, the you know, the whole committee has to agree to this. You had to make decisions, right? And in that time. When you're able to do what you're saying to be able to be more flexible, to do things more quickly, be open to change and then embracing things that you may not have done or that you maybe had just kind of put at an arm's reach because, you know, you weren't ready or comfortable for it. You just had to do it. And so with that said, when you kind of flip over to the other side on the consumer side, right, did you see changes in consumer behavior at all to a point during the pandemic that influenced how your product performed, or how uh, the agents were, and representatives and collectors were able to perform where they were prior to that. Do you have any data, or any you know even anecdotal stuff that you have related to that? Yeah, we found, um, particularly in the insurance
1: space um, that we were looking after, um, that uh, well, firstly contact rates improved across the across the board, and that's simply because people were more available, more at home than what they were before. So that's a fairly obvious one. But their attitude to risk-based products um, improved. That, that, that all of a sudden there was a lot of fear around, and uh, and suddenly people that were probably going to say no might have said yes and had a conversation and just listened, um, just listened a little more. And I think that I'm um, seeing the hangover of that still. So for those customers that are in the risk premium kind of, uh, particularly life um, products or, or credit insurance type of products. That, that, has stayed, uh, with a much more, much better attitude to, um, or more thinking about the relevance of, of, of what those products can deliver. You know, it's, it's sad that that's why we got to that point, but th- th- that is the reality. So seeing much more focus on, um, products, uh, a lot of the centers we're looking after are focusing a lot more on the risk kind of products that they've historically done, particularly those that were, do have an investment portion, um, as well. So I think the mix of of customers has changed uh, has, has changed a little bit, um, and and certainly the marketing's ability
0: to find those segments and those components has also improved. Makes sense. And you know what's interesting when we talk about the the pandemic and we talk about the the products, you know, we had certain businesses that were obviously in the realm of. Uh, you know uh travel and you know uh being able to go on cruises and those parts of the industries that were heavily affected, but then you negatively um uh, in 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 many ways, but then you had other industries like in security you know home security and other things that had this big bump, so being able to see the various dynamics of the product suites and the businesses that you were working with that had different scenarios of how it impacted them. Um, I can see how that translated through you being able to see that in the data. So now I mean, we've had a great conversation. Hopefully our audience feels the same way. I'd love to kind of end it with a little bit of some personal stuff. True. Sure. One of the things I'd love to ask is, you know, do you have spare time? And if you do, what do you do with it? How do you enjoy yeah. that time? Yeah, as a as a business as a business owner, you 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 get all consumed
1: by the stuff you're doing. And and don't get me wrong, it's not like it's a sacrifice, right? You, you, I'm passionate about what we do, and so I, I do find myself working on uh, like crazy hours. But yeah, I do enjoy outdoors, um, very much enjoy cycling, you know, playing around in the garden, doing stuff like that. I've also got um, kids that are um, going through an interesting phase of their lives. I've got 20-year-old triplets, so they are... Uh, so. <laughs> It's uh it's like a soap opera, like a continuous flow of things that are going on and crazy decisions <laughs> that are, that, that are getting made. And so that's, um, almost become a, a like a couch hobby of watching the, the very unusual decisions that, that you're thinking, like, how did you reach that as the sort of awesome thing that you think you should be doing at times? So, yeah. So most of the free time is, um, you know, I, I am very committed to work but uh, certainly doing some cycling and uh, I suppose managing the, the kids.
0: Yeah, it's funny right now, there is actually a vehicle passing by my house and <laughs> I don't know how long, so apologies for that. Uh, so obviously for the recording, we'll just have to cut that out. <laughs> so, so as that passes by us, one of the things I thought I heard, and I think I've, I've, I've noticed before uh, our conversation, you said triplets, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. That, that has to have been interesting. And obviously, finding a work-life balance in that, that scenario has got to be interesting. There's probably some great stories there as well. But you know, considering time, I definitely want to save it for our audience to be able to make sure they know how to get a hold of you. Right? Because there's going to be some people that say, I want to know more. I want to connect with Kevin. I want to know more about value add and everything that you're doing. So, how best can our audience get a hold of you? Yeah, I'm enjoying LinkedIn. I think that's a, that's obviously uh, a, a, a great way to start. Also,
1: obviously, we've got a website at, at Best Pair uh, that uh, I'll provide you through the, the, the details through to that. Or, or my email address, reach out to me directly. I, I enjoy the conversations, right? Uh, you know, from Let's uh let's say even if you're thinking, oh, just just maybe one of the things we didn't cover is PRR data, by the way. Like we don't need that information. We don't need to know who this end customer is. So that should alleviate some of the the biggest fear is often, geez, there's a lot of regulation around how we share data. And we kind of bypass a lot of that by simply not wanting it or needing it. Uh and and so so that that's probably one hurdle that uh that we that we want to get out of the way. But yeah, reach out to me on email or or, or LinkedIn is the easiest way
0: well that's definitely an important Note, i appreciate you bringing that up at the end and i would think that especially for a lot of those that are hyper regulated you know we have yep. a lot of industries in the outbound world that all have a lot of not only regulation but also international obviously anything that has to do with data mm-hmm. that is the pii information I, I think it's really good for our audience to know as well that you don't need all that stuff to do all the things you're yep. doing so that's great yep. it makes it a lot easier to do work with you well Look, that concludes this episode. It was a great episode. Thanks so much for coming, Kevin. And look, since we're getting close to the end of the season, we'd love to ask each and every one of you, send us your opinions, feedback, guest suggestions. If you do, send it to info at noblebiz.com. Until next time, thanks everyone for joining. Have a great afternoon. Thanks, Seth. Thank you for joining me in this conversation. If you're enjoying and learning from this podcast, please subscribe to our YouTube channel for exclusive clips. If you're listening to this on Apple and iTunes, we'd appreciate you leaving a review or hitting the five-star button. On YouTube, you can leave us reviews, comments, and suggestions for future podcast guests. In addition, if you want to get more valuable content on the contact center world, go to nobelbiz.com. My name is Christian Montes, and thanks for listening to another episode of First Contact Stories of the Call Center. Stay tuned for our next episode.